The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki Season 2. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. You are listening to Habs and Minded. Brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hi there. Welcome to another episode of Habs and Minded. Uh, I'm Andrew Zadarnovsky from Habs Eyes on the Prize and for another exciting uh, podcast here uh, on our SB Nation network. With me, I have uh, my guests at this time, Dan Robertson, the voice of the Montreal Canadiens since 2014. Prior to that, he did some play-by-play and announcing in the Atlantic University sport uh, of U Sports uh, and also a bit of uh, Quebec junior hockey. So he's got lots of experience on announcing, and I'm very glad that you can join us today, Dan. Great to be here, Andrew. How are you? Oh, I'm doing very well. I'm trying to manage in the heat. I did finally cave in and turned on my air conditioning here in the house. I've avoided it as long as I could, but in the sweltering humidity, I refuse to wait any longer. Yourself? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm just, I suppose, like everybody else, uh, eyes glued to what's going on in the sports world, uh, at least, and then hoping that hockey will be back, I don't know, early August, late July, whenever. I just want to see it come back. So You don't mind having... You don't mind having yeah. hockey in the middle of summer? Not at all. I've heard people say, who who are, are hockey fans, say, I won't watch it if it comes back in the summer. And I, I think, yeah, you will. I mean, it's, uh, I get it. Um, it's uh, a time of the year when you want to be outside. But listen, by the time the, the Stanley Cup finals are on anyway, we're well into June, right? I, so it's, and into May, May can be nice. So I think people... Uh, they're hungry for it, and I, I think every you know everybody will watch. Maybe not everybody, I guess, but uh, certainly a large, a large portion of uh, hockey fans. And I know that uh, yeah, it doesn't matter what time of the year. I just want to see it again. Exactly. I mean, I told my wife. My my wife already is irritated with hockey in June, and I told her when starting back up in July and probably going into August, September. She looked at me and she said, "Are you kidding me? You're going to be watching hockey in the middle of summer?" I'm like, "Yes, I will be watching hockey whenever it's on because you know what? The world is is a, a bit slightly depressing and and uh, tumultuous times right now, and it's nice to have that distraction yeah. of pro sports." But Dan, I brought you on to talk a bit about your profession, the uh, art of play-by-play and announcing in sports and hockey specifically. And um, maybe we'll start off a little bit with with your background. In in 2014, you got the job with TSN to do the play-by-play with the Montreal Canadiens. How did that come about? Was there an interview process that you have to send in tapes? Did they reach out to you? How did that kind of all materialize? It happened pretty quickly, to be honest with you. I won't make the story too long, but I was working at Eastlink TV in Halifax, and I got a call from a man named Ed Hall, and Ed was and is a producer at Sportsnet, and he asked me if I would be interested in applying for the regional play-by-play job on TV for the Canadians, and I said, of course, and Ed sort of got that recommendation from a man named Joel Darling, and Joel and I went back to 
the mid 2000s uh, I had going back a ways but during the year that they they didn't play hockey uh, CBC fired Chris Cuthbert and I have a friend named Peter Rutgazer who knew Joel and Joel was the executive producer of Hockey Night in Canada and I said to Peter can I get his contact info he said yes I asked Joel if I could send him a VHS of all things and uh, I did and it's this I'm not trying to sound big-headed here but he told me that I was shortlisted for the job and uh, which surprised me and uh, they gave it to Jim Houston which you certainly couldn't blame them for that so spring ahead to 2014 Joel told Ed about me um, I said yeah I'm interested and I didn't I wasn't hearing from him so he finally called me and said listen thanks a lot but we've given the job to John Bartlett now I knew Bartlett was the play-by-play guy at TSN uh, 690 so right away I went online found the the name and the contact info for the general manager who's still my boss Chris Berry he's a good man and I emailed him that night I said can I send you something and I'm, at that time it was electronic I just had a link and he said sure I'll get back to you tomorrow so I I sent that to him and he called me right away and there was some interest there and he said can you come and do a game uh, an audition and I think it was August 25th of 2014 I said sure so I came up and did it and uh, I had a good feeling I met Chris uh, I guess the day before, it's a little bit murky now, but uh, I kind of had a feeling if it didn't fall flat on my face, I'd get the offer. And I thought I did a decent job, and they offered me the gig, and I took it. That's excellent. So you basically created your own opportunity, really. You, you, you saw a door opening somewhere, and you, and you stepped through that door yourself, which is excellent. That's an excellent lesson to our listeners about uh, you know, moving ahead in your professional lives. Is Sometimes you just got to identify that opportunity and just walk through that door. So good on you. You're, you're right. And it's, it's, you know, I tell people it's, I'm not even, you know, it's not always about ability. I, I was right place at the right time. Yes, I was ready to do it, but I got the jump because I knew, I knew it was open. Right. And mm-hmm. now I guess not everybody can know it's open. I knew it was open for another reason that I was being considered for the TV job, but it's, it is a good point. You have to kind of keep your feelers out there. And, and even if you're a little bit, not that I'm shy, but I don't like to bother people. Even if you are that way, it's good to keep in contact with people and say, listen, I'm here. Uh, I can do this. I can do that. And, and, uh, you know, 99 times out of a hundred, you might not get the job, but it's, I think it's something you really have to do. You have to keep your nose to the grindstone that way. Absolutely. So you ha- you got the job with TSN. Now here, here's a question I'm curious about. You work, you work yeah. for TSN, but you do the announcing for the Montreal Canadians. How much feedback or say do the Canadians have regarding your work since you really essentially represent I- them? Well, that's a good question. I know that they had to sort of give it the okay when I was originally hired. Uh, they listened, and I'm, I say they, I have an idea who it was, but um, uh, somebody there, or maybe more than one person listened and, and thought, okay, he's good enough. But since then, uh, you know what, I've never heard anything. So it, I work for TSN, and that's it. Now, if I go on the air and I start ripping the Canadians um, unfairly or I get personal, then they're well within their rights um, because we are rights holders. They're well within their rights to tell their boss or tell me. And I would think that I have enough of a relationship with people there that uh, they could just come to me and say, look, back off a little bit. But that's not the kind of announcer I am. It's not the kind of person I am. So, But there is a partnership be- between 690 and the Canadians. And, you know, you have to, you have to stay reasonable and stay professional. And I, I think I've uh, been able to do that these years. 
Well, you certainly are. Uh, <laughs> I, I love talking about you uh, with uh, Matt uh, Matthew on uh, weekend game plan on on Sundays when I do my radio hit. It's always it's always oh, always thanks. hear your voice. Always hear your voice first because they play clips from Saturday night's game uh, ahead of time, and it's always your voice that kind of uh, intros me in. So I'm just like always going, like, oh, I love that voice. Great calls. Great calls. Oh, now, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> now, in your thoughts, what what is your philosophy behind announcing? What does it take to be a good announcer? You know, that's a great question. And I knew uh, when you had asked me to come on, it's to talk about this. I, I find it pretty interesting because I, I talk with Sean Campbell, who when I do TV games, he fills in for me and he does our Laval Rocket games. He does play by play. And, you know, we talk about this from time to time or just talk about it, uh, the approach that you should have or that you do have to doing play by play. But, you know, when I look at it, I just I try to be fair um, and I try to be clear I try to be energetic and I, I keep remembering or try to remember that what I see uh, doing radio, our listeners can't see. So I have to uh, accurately and, and quickly and efficiently describe what I'm seeing and uh, try and relay that to them. I have to kind of, you know, every once in a while when you listen back to when you do an air check of yourself, you you kind of say, okay, let's uh, let's get back to the to the staples here and that's where the puck is and uh where on the ice and and who has it because again you're you are their eyes and so it's it's those things and it's trying to convey i guess the pace of the game or the flow of the game with the urgency for lack of a better term in my voice and in my delivery so those are the things i try to do when i first was hired um i was i wasn't uh, as good as I am now, not to say I'm great now, but I, I got better. And that's uh, through a lot of uh, help from my boss, Chris Berry. And, and uh, you know, early on, I didn't have enough energy. And when I had my old job with Sync, that was that way too, because that's sort of who I am. I'm not, I'm not a hyper guy. I'm pretty laid back, I think. So um, I had to remind myself to bring that energy, be it a 3-2 game late when it's easy, or if it's a 6-1 game and it's in the third period, you have to remember what you're there for and, and what you're supposed to be doing. So, so those are, are some of the things that I try to try to remember. And, uh, some, you know, sometimes I'll write little notes for myself and underline them just to kind of, um, just to remind myself, uh, yeah. what my, my approach should be when I'm calling a game. What's your uh, game day prep look like? It do you depends. have a, do you have a routine uh, or? Yeah, I do. Um, if it's a home game, um, I will go to the skate. I'll go to the skate either if it's at home or on the road. So I'll go to Brostar, go to the morning skate. And uh, part of my job is that I'm the, the team reporter as well. So I go into the room. So I'll watch what's going on during the practice. I'll make notes and I'll send that sort of a, uh, an update on what went on, a rundown, I suppose, of what went on at practice and send it back to the station. So the guys get an idea of what the team worked on. Now on a game day, they don't work on a heck of a lot. They just go out to break a bit of a sweat and more of a habit than anything, go into the room, talk to guys, get clips. Uh, I will edit them. Sometimes I won't if they don't have the time, but I'll send them back to the station so they can use them. And then uh, we go and we talk to Claude Julien and same thing there. You, I'll cut that audio and send it back and I'll do a, I'll call the station. Um, to, to talk about just to do a hit usually for Habs lunch. But by, by that point, um, hopefully if I've had the time the night before I've gone over a lot of things, um, I've looked at, you know, I'll break down every player and see if, if he's, 
trending, I guess, for a term that I don't like to use that much, but in, in one sort of direction. So say Brendan Gallagher, I can look, uh, check his last 10 games, maybe his eight points in 10 games, you know, just something that I think the listener might like to know. And even if I never get around to those things, I like having them written down in front of me, just, just as sort of a crutch and sort of mental insurance, I guess. Uh, so I'll do that. And, and whether or not um, I'm at home or on the road, I will uh, go back, take a nap, and, and get to the arena. And uh, usually, I mean, if time permits, I have all my prep done. So, uh, again, that's going over notes. It's going over team trends, uh, splits, home and away, you know, what, what a guy's done at home, what a, what a guy's done away. And, uh, you know, we, we, I'll get to the rink, and Sergio Momesso does color with me, and we'll, we'll chat about what we want to talk about when we go in. Uh, to the broadcast at the top of the hour or at the bottom of the hour, whatever it is, and kind of go from there. So it's it's kind of a uh, a framework that I have to make myself feel better. I mean, I know, and I've had to do it before. I've shown up at games where I don't have a lot of prep work done. Maybe I haven't been I'm feeling well, and it's a second of a back to back, but I can I can call the game and and still get through it. But I don't feel as comfortable as I do when I have certain notes in front of me. Uh, that, uh, you know, we all do things, I guess, a certain way and, and you get used to that. So I, I've gotten used to my own little routine and, and basically what I just told you is that routine. Mm-hmm. Is it hard to come up with uh, unique original storylines for each game? Do you need storylines for each game or do you kind of let the game evolve as it, as it goes? You do. I mean, especially you need them to start, I find, Andrew, because... Uh, and that's what I talked with Sergio about. And is it difficult? Yeah, if the Canadians lose, 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 lose. And we've seen that over the last few years at times. It, it gets tough, right? You, you want to be positive and you, you know, we'll, we'll try and maybe talk about a player or two who are doing something well. But you can't ignore the obvious either, right? If, if, they're, if they're playing poorly, I mean, first of all, if you say they aren't, people are going to know you're a fraud. And like I said earlier, you'll talk about why they're not playing well uh, and do it respectfully. But sometimes, yeah, it's, it's a grasp. It's sometimes, you know, since he's the analyst, I'll ask him, what do you want to talk about? Uh, or I'll have some ideas, though, if, if, you know, maybe he's struggling to find one. There's times when I'm struggling to, to find an idea, too, uh, to talk about. And some of it will come from if I have a chance to chat with a player in the room that morning, just to give listeners a different point of view because as i always say and i always remember this anybody can go online like i can and find out how many points brendan gallagher has in his last five games but not everybody can go into the room and ask brendan gallagher what's going on so things like that you try and come up with and uh you know another good reason there's good storylines to have early if you get a game where in the first 10 minutes there's umpteen whistles you need to have something to lean on so if, if you get a bunch of whistles halfway through the second period, you can sort of talk about more Sergio than me, but what's gone on in the first half of the game. But when there's a lot of stoppages early, you have to be prepared to have something to, to lean on so you're not fumbling around and looking for something to say. So it's all about preparation. Okay, and that, and that makes perfect sense. Now, um, you know, you said you have privilege of going in the locker, interviewing guys before the game or something. Do you have to be careful what storylines you come up with? Let's say in the morning you see a guy like heavily taping his knee. You know he's got some kind of knee injury, but it's not public. Obviously, that's a storyline if he's struggling, but you can't really talk about it or should you? What's that kind of decision point between knowing too much and knowing what can be public? Yeah, I, I would I would never do that. I might. Um, <laughs> 
I might know something and uh, which doesn't always happen. I mean, these guys keep things pretty close to the best, but you do see guys with bumps of bruises and you know what's going on. Mm-hmm. But if he's playing poorly, I might sort of suggest during the game, well, maybe he has an injury, <laughs> you know, may, knowing too wink, well wink. he does. But it's, yeah, exactly. And, and people can kind of figure it out from there. And listen, a lot of times maybe people can figure it out anyway. If a player isn't playing to his normal level, uh, mm-hmm. then you, you know something is up. So, But it is, it's, you know what, it, it's funny too, and I know this isn't exactly what you asked, but as far as um, what we do just covering the Canadians, there's so many of us, so many reporters that it's hard to find the time, and especially in a game day, because they'll come in and talk to us, but very briefly, because they want to get about their day and away they go, and that's fine. But even on practice days, uh, it's great if you can sit with someone when there's no one else around and just not to find out anything earth shattering, but it's great if I can say during a game that, you know, I spoke with Arturi Lekkonen today and he, he thinks he's close to breaking out. He doesn't know what's going wrong. Because again, to me, that's value added, and it's something that you just you can't find online, right? It's it's a mm-hmm. privilege, like you said, that I have, and that some of us have to go and be able to do that. So I do that when I can. Uh, I think if I was the play-by-play voice of the Arizona Coyotes, I could do it more often. But uh, you know, I'm I'm happy where I am, and and uh, you know, you sort of develop a little bit of a relationship with these guys over the years, and it, it comes in handy sometimes. Do they ever uh, pitch storylines for you? Yeah, they leave you alone to let you, you figure that out. They do. When you say they, who do you mean? The, 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 player, the players. The, pl- no, oh, the players. The players, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, no. I mean, maybe something might come out where they'll, you know, might you might be chatting and it, they might bring up something trivial. You might be on the road and, they'll, you know, somebody might say, well, listen, this is my favorite road city sort of thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you're always kind of listening to take note for something that's a little bit uh, off the beaten path because maybe hockey players as much as any athletes can be pretty uh, repetitive in their remarks and close mm-hmm. to the vest, but by and large, not really. Okay. Now maybe change, change of gears. Now you mentioned that you tried out for television, you tried out for radio. How would your approach be different between doing play by play on TV and play by play on radio? Would, TV, would it, be you, it is different. Yeah. I, I, again, just to go back to radio, I have to be, remember that I, I can't get bogged down in, uh, anecdotes nor Sergio during the play when radio, because, and our boss will remind us of that at times. He'll play a little clip and say, okay, I can hear the puck being passed around. And you guys are talking about, you know, something that happened three days ago, save that for between the whistles. And it's funny too on TV. And I before I did radio, I did TV for 12 years. So there's a lot of I have a lot of experience there. Um, there are obviously areas where you have room to sort of talk about things other than the play-by-play. And a lot of times, it's up to the producer too, right? I mean, uh, if you watch NBC games, uh, they'll usually have a three-man booth, and it's a lot more anecdotal, at least from my eyes, than say, by example, I guess by contrast, if you go way back to Bob Cole and Harry Neal, Bob Cole just did the play-by-play. The color commentator, if it was Harry, whoever, never came in during the play. If he did, he'd get the big Heisman stiff arm from Bob as if to say, shut your mouth. And that was, that. there's a, somewhere between, there's a happy medium, I think, uh, and we all have it. Uh, we all have our preference. I know when I'm calling a TV game, uh, I don't like it if the color commentator I don't want it's, and it's not an ego thing. I don't want them to talk too much, get in, get out. 
but let's let's call the play right but that's me i'm sort of a a traditionalist that way but i have to remember too that if i'm calling a game on radio and i'll say here's leckanen coming up the left wing to the blue line i if i'm doing it on tv i don't have to say that i can just say here's leckanen they mm-hmm. can see where he is you know i know that might sound like uh, minutia but i it's really important to me and it's and i listen i pick everybody apart myself the most uh when i watch or listen back to games and uh, just how people do things differently and uh, i guess we all have our have our preferences, and uh, I certainly know what mine are after all these years. Do different markets require a different style of uh, play-by-play and or announcing, or is it really just like a, a way of doing it? Well, I think they do. Again, that's, that's a good point. I mean, I know my boss has talked about calling Canadians games. There should be a certain level of, I don't know what to say, professionalism, but I don't I don't think this market calls for some Yahoo yelling and screaming and, and uh, coming up with all these ridiculous catchphrases, if you know what I mean. And I'm not trying to, to, uh, you know, rain on anybody's parade. That's not who I am, but I don't think that's, you know, that's not who traditional hockey markets should be either. Now, I guess if you're calling hockey uh, in a newer market, maybe it's a little bit different. Maybe, maybe you want to be an educational. I mean, at, at this point, I suppose every team, uh, every franchise, Vegas included, there's no need to, to teach the game to your listeners. But um, I, I just think as far as maybe a Montreal or a Toronto and, and those sort of markets go, I think you just, you need a kind of a more, I don't know, state approach or a little bit less, uh, less homerish. <laughs> maybe that's just my opinion, but uh, being a homer is something that I, I just don't have in me. Is is there room for personal bias in play-by-play and announcing, or do you really need to call it down the middle? Or for regional games, it's okay to leak in a little personal bias. Uh, how do you feel about that? Uh, well, I think there is. I mean, I've again, I talked about my boss. He had said to me a few years ago, "You could stand to be a little more of a homer," and I, I thought, yeah, because you have to remember who your your listenership. I mean, by and large, obviously, they're Canadians fans. Mm-hmm. Um, but I. I think, uh, look, just just being around the Canadians, and I'm I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of any team, but I want to see them do well. It's better for for me personally when they do. You get on a plane after a road game, everybody's happy. You know, I like Claude Julien a lot. I like the coaches. I want to see them succeed. And we know what Montreal is like when the Canadians lose, and we know what it's like when they win. So so that seeps in. And yeah, I, I mean, I'm hoping for them to win, but I, I'm not some um, a fanboy who just can't separate reality from from fantasy. I mean, uh, if a player makes a poor play, uh, I'm not going to look for excuses for him every time. Why? Sergio's the same, right? He's we're both along the same lines, I guess. Um, uh, when you look at that theory of things, and I think I hope that our listeners, uh, whether they think of it consciously or not, I hope they appreciate it because uh, you know, and there are some fans who who would prefer a homer. And that's okay, um, and I guess it does too. Look, if I was if I was an employee of the Canadians, I might be told to call the games a little bit more pro hab, and I, I'm sure I could learn to live with that. But that's not really my nature. So I, I do. I am glad that again, with um, I haven't had management say, look, you know, be uh, other than that one time, you know, be a homer. I've never had that happen, and I'm really thankful for that. 
Now, I was hoping this episode would be a bit longer. I was hoping to have Brian Rogers on here. Uh, again, I had him on my last yeah. podcast. Uh, you know, he's a Newfoundland Hockey Hall of Famer, 40 years of announcing. So I would have, you know, assumed that he'd have a lot of stories to tell and would have extended this conversation a little bit more. With you, I've already gone through my checklist of questions. <laughs> Because yeah. it's you know having two people versus one on one is a little it's a little shorter. So maybe maybe we'll start maybe wrapping it up a little bit, and uh, you can you can leave a little earlier if you wish. Who were your role models um, growing up in terms of of play play by play? Did you have someone that you looked up to and said, "I want to do what he does. I love what he does." I, I guess specifically, uh, I would say no uh, as far as play by play goes. When I was a, a really young guy, and I was a I mean, I'm much more of a rabid sports fan when I was like 10 years old than I am at 50, that's for sure. But I, I mean, I appreciate guys like Bob Costas, uh, and I'm not even thinking play-by-play so much. I love Marv Albert, and I'm talking basketball here more than anything. Mm-hmm. And I, I never did hear much um, call Ranger games. Kick, save, and a beauty was his uh, sort of patented thing. Uh, I'm a big fan of Chris Cuthbert, and, um, you know, I've it's been a thrill. I, I've gotten to meet him a couple of times and actually was in the process just before he moved to Sportsnet. Uh, I had asked him if, if we could chat sometime about his preparation and how he does it. So I, I really like um, what he does and the way he does it because of the feel that he has for the game. I, I find that uh, the, it's not about him. He's not trying to tell you how much he knows. And he just, I don't know. He has uh, really good sense of not to say he can predict the future, but he can, he can, he understands the flow of the game. And I think he can really convey that, uh, through his voice. And it's funny, uh, my son and I have been watching a lot as I suppose everybody has of these classic games are showing in lieu of having actual games to watch. And I mentioned Bob Cole earlier. I mean, I, I guess it was, they've been showing one of the world cups, maybe Oh four, uh, lately. And listen, just <laughs> the way he used his voice, uh, could really, I mean, bring you goosebumps. And so I think you had to uh, appreciate Bob and the way he did things. Vin Scully, uh, who was the voice of the Dodgers when they were in Brooklyn, even before they went to L.A. and just retired a couple of years ago. I think he's the best announcer, period, in any genre or any any sort of area uh, in history. I mean, I, I love listening to Ball on radio and um, just to hear the way he could weave stories in with the play-by-play was, it was like music. It was just incredible. And there's so many good ones out there. I mean, I, I listen to satellite radio a lot and, uh, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of great guys now too, but, uh, yeah, some of those names certainly come to mind and, and Cuthbert is my favorite for sure. Do you have a favorite call, a favorite memory of, uh, of something you called on the air? The last time the Canadians were in the playoffs, as we know, was against the Rangers three years ago. And uh, they lost game one, and game two was looking pretty bad, too. And Placanitz tied the game and went into overtime. And Radulov scored. And I think that's the most um, excitement I've felt in that building ever. And another one, P.A. Parento scored a goal against Tampa late to sort of extend a series that we knew they weren't going to win. But so the Radulov call, it wasn't great, um, I guess, but I, I put a lot of emotion into it. We went to New York City the next day, and I went into the hotel room, and I turned on NBC, and they are promoting the game, and my call was, my audio was under the goal. And uh, I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. It's, you know, that's national, and uh, it's, it's the United States. So I guess that, that comes to mind. Um, it's, it's uh, I'm hoping for the opportunity to have more meaningful 
playoff games to call uh, at some point. Maybe they'll go on a little bit of a run here. Uh, but yeah, I guess the one with Radulov just sticks out. And as I say it, maybe you're thinking the same way thing too, that, man, we need games like that. Don't we just, just to, to have them be, I don't want to say relevant again, but be right in the middle of things and, and, uh, have us excited as a, uh, a fan base. And, and yeah, I just, I hope they can get back to a level where they are a contender year after year. And, uh, that'll be a lot of fun for me professionally too. For sure. How much energy did Ilya Kovalchuk bring to the Canadians? Did you feel that energy when you're doing your play-play? Absolutely. And you could feel it before the games even started. Uh, you know, guys like Domi and Drewham were, were saying, you know, this guy's a legend. And they were they were almost awestruck when he came into the room. And then, I mean, he had that game when he scored, uh, I guess it was an overtime against the Maple Leafs, so they played yeah. really well this year. And that was that was one of the best moments of the year, right? You're thinking, you know what? Oh, absolutely. I would... Yeah, I'd give my left ear for a playoff series between these two teams. So it's it just reminded you, too, that, yeah, he's faded a little bit, but he's still a pure goal scorer, and that the Canadians really haven't had one in such a long time. But I think, too, Andrew, just just the, what he's done, um, the way he's done it, he's kind of a mysterious dude in a way. He went back to the KHL, and he, he comes back, and, and here he is in a Canadian's jersey after things didn't work out in L.A., and that was a – that was a pretty bright time. It wasn't that long, and Bergevin had to trade him, and he did well. But that was a pretty special time uh, to be around the team. Who are the? Um, let's talk a little bit about the Canadians. Who are the players in recent history who brought the most excitement to the games that you can, you know, build off the energy off the crowd, and you'd love calling? Like, who were those? Like, maybe top three, four players. Uh, I. That's interesting. Radulov had had something to him. I mean, he has. He has that dogged determination where, you know, like a dog, dog on a bone, sort of like Gallagher in a way. But, uh, you know, there's something kind of special about him, too. And he was able to, to raise the excitement level. I'll tell you, when Domi is on, uh, he's got so much speed and creativity. Uh, there's something there as well. This is a little different, but I, I still I, I'm blown away when Shea Weber leans into a one-timer and connects. Uh, it's frightening. It's when you're at, at the morning skate or you're in practice and you're close to the ice and you see that, or you don't see that shot goal. It's that's still like a special phenomenon. And I know that's he's not a guy who's going to take it and go end to end. But when he's able to tee one up, it's it's still kind of breathtaking, right? Like everybody's waiting when he winds up, especially at the Bell Center. You know something cool is going to happen. But uh, you know those guys for sure. And uh, Drew at times too. I know there's more in him, and I, I think. Uh, Hopefully we'll see that over the next couple of years. But, um, yeah, and listen, I, I was – I don't want to say I was disappointed when they traded Kovalchuk. I thought it was the right thing to do. But uh, still, uh, you wanted a little more of that magic to kind of linger for the rest of the year. Uh, but it wasn't really possible. For sure. Now, you mentioned hearing yourself uh, in the hotel room in New York City, and you're like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, how often do you air check yourself? How often do you listen back to yourself? Are you able to listen back to yourself? Or is it weird? I am be- no, I am. Well, technically I am because we podcast everything, but yeah, it's weird. And you know, it's, it's terrible. Even at this age, and I've been in it so long, I I'm reluctant to do it because I'll beat myself up so much. If I, during the game, if I make a little minuscule error, I think, Oh, you know, it really gets to me and I'll carry that frustration after the game. I've gotten a little bit better uh, over the years, but when I do go back and listen, almost every time I'll think all well, that, that wasn't that bad of a mistake. Not to say that I don't make bad ones because we all do. I don't do it enough, Andrew. And, and when I do, I'm really glad I did because as I kind of touched on earlier, I, when I do it, I can, 
say, okay, you know, like something like keep your energy up here, or you're not being, you're not describing that well enough. And it's a chance to kind of reset a little bit. So I, I try and do it. Um, I would like to tell you twice a week, if I do it once a week, then that's a good thing. And, you know, sometimes I'll just do it bit by bit. I'll go back to our, our podcast page and maybe listen to a period here and there, but it is invaluable. And, and I would always recommend that to anybody, uh, you know, sort of if they're play by play or they're on air uh, in any, any form, it can be painful. Um, but <laughs> in the end, it's, it's never as bad as you thought it was. And it's, it's only a good thing to do. It's only constructive and uh, it, it is very helpful. I'll take that to heart because uh, I have a hard time listening to my Sunday morning radio hits on 690 with uh, with Matthew. I just have a hard time doing it. I did it initially Can at I first. You, I, yes, I, go ahead. I need to ask you why. Why is that? Um, I, I Maybe I'm like you. I, I kind of beat myself up over basic errors. I did listen to myself initially out of sheer curiosity to see how I came off. And initially, when I first started, I found that it did help me in recognizing uh, basic yeah, speech mistakes I would make. I would uh a lot yeah. between thoughts. Yep. Now I, I trained myself to maybe pause instead of go uh. You know, you, you're kind of afraid of dead air, but sometimes a, a, a split second to change thoughts or think of a new sentence is actually shorter than you believe it is. So I did listen to myself. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I listened to myself oh, several true. times. But lately, I, I, I drew a correlation between how prepared I thought I was for the hit versus how likely I am to re- re-listen to it. If I went into my hit thinking I am not prepared for this, I'm just going to wing it and see how it goes, I tend to not listen to those again because I don't want to hear myself improvising on air. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fascinating. And you're right. What you think, if you pause, what feels like 10 seconds might be a half a second. And one thing that I used to do, and I still do it too much, but I would say, I'd be talking, I'd say, well, you know, you know, you know. But if when you listen back, and you point those out, you realize it's so funny what you do sort of subconsciously. But when you air check, you can read those things out. And it, it is, uh, you just have to get over yourself, right? And you have to, you have to get into it and you have to listen. And, and uh, But that's, no, it's interesting. I mean, we, we think along the same lines uh, with those, uh, along those thoughts. And it's, it's just, it's good for you. If you have a chance to do it, I would always recommend people go back and listen. And so I guess my final question then, and that's kind of leading into it. What advice would you have for aspiring play-by-play guys or guys that are just getting into it, guys or gals, of course? Um, what what would you recommend that they do in terms of their routine to help them along? When I was about uh, 20, 23, 24, I, I graduated from university and went back to, and to, went to broadcasting school in Halifax. And I met Ron McClain at the golf tournament. And I asked him for... And I, I didn't know what I wanted to do then, if I wanted to be a host or whatever. He said, work, just do all you can, even if you're not being paid, work. So, and I did that. I volunteered at Eastlink for a long time and, uh, you know, it, it eventually helped me. So, so that's one thing I know that has nothing to do with preparation, but you know, I, I, one thing I would say is be yourself. I, I will hear young broadcasters maybe come up with some sort of a, I don't know, a catchphrase where they'll try to force something or maybe they'll copy a catchphrase from someone else, you know, for better or worse, you can only be who you are as a broadcaster, as a person too, I suppose. So I just, you know, don't copy anybody. I think it's okay. And you're going to just naturally take things from different play-by-play guys that you've heard. Uh, but ultimately it's, it's going to be you. And I, a few months ago, I had a friend of mine who said, my son is doing, 
a project. He wants to be a play-by-play guy, and for school, he wants to talk to you about it. And he said, can anybody do it just with hard work? I mean, can you achieve your goals? And I said, no, not necessarily, right? I, I Listen, if you, it's like anything else, you can work as hard as you can. If you don't have any sort of natural ability to do it, then chances are you won't succeed. But I do think if you have some sort of an aptitude for it and you just kind of keep plugging away, then eventually something will open up for you. I mean, I I was happy in my old job, and then eventually I wasn't. And I, I, I always wanted to find out if I was good enough to get to the NHL. And by the time I got the opportunity, and it wasn't my first opportunity, I'd failed a few times, I, I was ready. And, and I was ready just because I kept working. I mean, I needed to work. I needed to live. So um, that's that's why. But I loved it. And I volunteered for a long time, as I said. And I, I just think that's important. If you want to want to do play-by-play, go to a rink. Do it in your head. You know, just do whatever you can. Sit in front of the TV and try it, right? It's it's just you have to make your opportunities to have an op- to have an opportunity to, to get a job out of it. Great. That's awesome. So thank you very much. You were Dan Robertson. I am Andrew Zadarnowski. This was Absent Minded. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been a, a fun podcast to record. Dan, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you joining us this week. It was, uh, I think, a great conversation. Anytime, Andrew. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.